Welcome to MedHeads, the weekly show that brings a biopsychosocial focus to issues of the day, along with special guests who will showcase their expertise and enthusiasm about their field of practice. Your host, Dr. Fergal Armstrong. Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong, and welcome to MedHeads. Today, we have regular guest, Marie Eisma. Hello, Marie. How are you? Hello. I'm really well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So I thought today we'd talk about expressive therapy. Mm. Can you tell me what that means? What is expressive therapy? Okay, so probably one of the best ways to sort of describe expressive therapies is that it encompasses a whole range of different techniques. Uh, Everything from drawing, from symbols, from bioenergetic work, um, so physical movement, uh, it's basically a way of externalizing and expressing things through the body. Mm. Uh, but it can also be, I guess it can just sort of augment the process too for some people mm. because there are some people who are more uh, visual or they see the world in um, in symbols or in images or in pictures. Mm. Um, so, yeah, but you're right. For people who may also struggle uh, to find words, mm. um, the symbols do the speaking instead. So the symbols do the speaking. I like that. That's a, that's a very succinct way of um, describing what expressive therapy is. And I suppose it's really important to emphasize the point that whilst it is appropriate uh, in, in, in therapies and uh, trying to help children, it's not only just for children. You know, adults can benefit from expressive therapies as well. Isn't that the case? Absol- yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people will come and work with me because they've explored all the they've explored all the cognitive stuff so um they've done a lot of the cbt work but found that it in in their words it just skimmed the surface yeah yeah so it facilitates a a deeper understanding of pain and suffering in a way that is not necessarily verbal yeah or or getting caught up in the intellectualizing of it i think that's one of the big things that can happen is and we know in itself that intellectualization is a defense yes if we just if we we just intellectualize things in our head then we can somehow keep ourselves distant but Mm. as you would know in the mind body divide we know more and more that we're not operating with two separate entities here yeah yeah so for those, yes, you're right. The, in, in, there is a fear among certain patients that when, it, when you're going to see a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor, that you know, they're going to be, you're going to be sat in front of basically a, a huge computer brain and you're going to be you know, yeah. you know, f- you know, submitting data for, for reflection and it's going to be painful and boring and logical, whereas expressive therapy is really the antithesis of that, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah. Probably one of the best ways to describe expressive therapies is that we work through the emotion and then the cognition changes at the end of it. Yeah. As opposed to simply doing with the cognitions and the emotions kind of just get left by the by the wayside. Yeah. Now, yeah. you very early on gave me a list of expressive therapies. Let's go back to that list. What does expressive therapy encompass? So it can be everything from uh, working in a sand tray uh, which, yep. so I'll probably, um, yeah, so in answer to your question, it expressive them, therapies actually encompasses a range of different therapies. So um, it incorporates the work from Dora Kowolf, I think her name was. She's um, mm. She works specifically uh, from a very Buddhist perspective, just using the sand 
um, would mm. often have many sessions where there wasn't a lot of talk, or very minimal talk at most. Mm. Um, it incorporates things like gestalt. Uh, mm. There is cognitive aspects in there. There is body work. There mm. is... Um, that was the bioenergetic no, stuff that you said. Yeah, so bioenergetics is a lot around um, body movement, so shifting right. energy through body. Um, and we so, see this, especially with little kids, when they've got lots of energy or they're starting to go into that slump right at, say, 2 o'clock after their last recess, mm. and then they're on the nod. So what we do is we actually do um, movement or body expressive movement to kind of mm. um, give another kick along so that they're awakened or they've um, got a little bit more energy. So what you've said so far, you've mentioned three main types of therapy within expressive therapy. So we've got the sandpit. We've got yep. gestalt and we've got bioenergetics. Yep. So you've described what bioenergetics, well, well, well have you? Let, t tell me, what, what would be the core features of bioenergetic therapy as opposed to just move, you know, getting kids to run around? Yeah, yeah. So bioenergetic stuff could be anything from uh, connecting with movement. So if somebody does like a, a body map, there might be, you know, could you, could you give an example of how the body might feel and you might actually you know, do a, a, like a, a complete body tension like, a, like you would with a, a progressive muscle relaxation. So you might just mm. really notice the tension or could you exaggerate that feeling? You know, what would it yeah. feel like if you could take it up a notch? So it's yeah. really bringing everything back to the body. The other thing I should also mention is that the work also incorporates everything from uh, prenatal, so even before possibly conception, right through mm. to the transpersonal, so what happens afterwards. So it really encompasses all aspects of life, but it does also incorporate a lot of Jungian um, right, right. input. <laughs> so my, my concept of bioenergetics is that it's all related to the limbic brain because it's basically about body language and the relationship between our emotions and our body language. And mm. the limbic brain never lies. So, I mean, you know, for instance, when we're, when we're being criticized, we will hunch up together like that and we'll try and make ourselves smaller and more defensive. And when we're feeling expansive, we'll, well, look at my body language now. I've got my hands open to you. I, I, you know, that right. to me is, 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 is the relationship between the limbic brain our emotions and our trauma responses, in fact, to yes. our body language. Is, is that a fair comparison to make? Yes. And bioenergetic work would be around, you know, what does it feel like when you can go back to the feeling of perhaps what it felt like when maybe power was taken from you? Mm. And with the use of symbols, so... Um, you know, for somebody, it might be like picking up, you know, perhaps a symbol like this, which is somebody who might, might talk about feeling like they're in defence mm. and they're just waiting to, you know, to duck and weave around the next yeah. uh, missile that's being thrown at them or something. Yeah. But we might actually get them to say, well, okay, now what does it feel like to feel the opposite of that? Mm. Um, I know Pat Ogden does a lot of work around like somatic type work, so really, you know, leaning into, um, you know, what does it feel like? And, and you make a beautiful point, and that is that I think the body instinctively knows is it a yes? meaning do we get that sense of expanse or do we get the contraction, which right. is the body's way right. of saying, no, I'm not actually okay with this. But yeah, right. this part intellectualizes and gets us all into a big yeah. space because we've got to be the nice girl or the obliging yeah. partner. Or yeah. uh, So you make a really good point, and that is that the body, the body often knows. The body knows and the body never lies. That's what I've That's learned. That's right. So, yes. so we've talked about, there's, we've talked a bit about bioenergetics now. Tell me, what is Gestalt? You, you describe Gestalt as part of uh, expressive therapy. What do you mean yeah. by that? What is Gestalt? So, 
so gestalt is often a way of um so what we might do is in a tray we might put a the invitation sometimes we just simply use a tray as a tray we just only work with the sand uh, sometimes this can deepen the work for people quite significantly so we have to be really conscious around how do people react symbolically. So it's not the sort of work that you just go willy nilly and you've got to be very careful about the type of client work that we do this, especially if, you know, if someone's in the throes of like any sort of psychosis, we would never be doing this sort of work. Um, obviously, if someone's raging high on substances, again, we don't use this work. Um, yeah. But somebody, so gestalt work would be something like perhaps there could be um you know, like if I've got two symbols, so I've got the, you know, the girl or the person who looks like she's prim and proper and then I've got maybe a more masculine sort of uh, symbol here. So there might be some of the gestalt work might be around the talking between both aspects. Um, you know, what does it mean to sit there and try to always be the nice, you know, um, the nice girl or for a guy it could be, you know, I'm, I'm trying to integrate my masculine aspect but the, the people I'm dating want me to have a bit more of this and them trying to toggle between the both realms. Mm. Um, so it's a really good way of, uh, and the other thing is that we also deal with things like the projection. So, you know, when we look at a symbol, we can do it for a couple of reasons. We could look at it and think about the qualities that are actually in that symbol, which could be qualities that we've already got. They could be qualities that we need to work on. But the beautiful stuff is it also allows us to work with our shadow so the parts, when we look at something and we get triggered by something, we can then start to really lean into that and say, well, wait a minute, what's happening for me when I'm getting so stirred up by that? Because there could be an offering uh, about that. So about, and how to work with some of that. Like if we see somebody who's highly assertive, um, you know, perhaps maybe someone who just says exactly what they think and really doesn't care about the ramifications of what somebody else might be thinking there might be a part in that person that who jumps up and down and goes, oh my gosh, that person was so insensitive. They just said whatever they wanted. Um, they didn't seem to care. But when, when we might sit with that a little bit further, we might actually realise, well, maybe that person's actually needing to acquire some skills of assertiveness or not be so consumed by the thoughts and opinions of other people. So sometimes when we get stirred up by someone, it's an invitation to look inwards and go, well, wait a minute, what, what, what's happening for me in that journey? Yeah, yeah. So you've, you've, you've identified a number of issues. So just if I could reflect on the very last sentence you made, how we've, you know, others, other people's actions don't actually affect us. How we feel and how we respond to other people's actions are the key thing that affects us. But yeah. I, I wanted to just summarize what you talked, what you spoke about regarding the symbols. Basically, we, we're all... We are all at least dualities, you know. There's no, no, none of us are all good or all bad, and yet we, we yet our social lives demand upon us the the ability to project all that is good. Yet, there, or 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 at least not necessarily good, but at least one aspect of ourselves to perhaps that supersedes other aspects of ourselves. And so, so what I'm hearing from you is that expressive therapy allows us to symbolize the other aspects of ourselves that we might, might not otherwise demonstrate. Or at least it's yes, a space and, within which you can you can do that safely. Yes, and that is exactly <clears throat> when you touch on the word the dualism. That is exactly right. Society mm. gives us these strokes and these rewards for being a certain way, but yeah. the more that we don't um, either identify or integrate 
those other less than, you know, those um, unsavoury characteristics of ourselves, they go underground and they will actually then pop up in our fights with people in the staff room. It'll pop up with the way that we get irritated by patients or clients, uh, the way we start taking it out on our partners. So it's not around, uh, it's really about owning our humanness. And when we can, you know, thrash things out in a tray, when we can do a body map, when we can uh, use the symbols to tell somebody else to, you know, uh, what we really think of them, we're still having that externalising aspect without necessarily harming another individual. But as far as the psyche is concerned, it's done it. It's it's worked its its magic. It's mm. it's had its day in court. It said what it needed to say, and that is the beautiful offering. And you 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 mm. really nailed it because that's what a lot of people don't seem to understand. We just think, oh, if we just make out that we're you know Florence Nightingale, we're making we're Mother Teresa, then we're all wonderful people, but these are the people who then will have a road rage experience because yeah. they're so busy trying to just simply be what society wants them to be all the time. So Marie, we've, we've talked a little bit about the theory, but let's move on to some of the actual practice, you know, the, the, the actual mechanisms of this expressive therapy. And so you have mentioned the sandpit. Let, let's discuss the sandpit. What, what, what is the sandpit? Okay, so this and this is the gorgeous aspect of the sandbox. So it's a significantly um, deep pit, sort of about so deep. Um, mm-hmm. It's coloured blue, and mm-hmm. we're very we're very uh, cognizant of the type of sand that we put in there. We don't just you know go off and just clump whatever we want in there. A lot of it's filtered. A lot of it's a it's a white. I think it's a white river river sand or something. So its mm-hmm. texture is uh, very fine. There is a Sometimes we do also use wet sand, but essentially what happens is most people will sit down with uh, sitting opposite sand. And what, I, what I've what i noticed is it brings people from um, often from hyperarousal just into coming down. It brings the, there's a, a uh, coming back into the body. There's a getting out of the head, locking the rest of the chaotic world away. And just even um, the movement, the flow, the scrunching, the way that uh, their whole body, like I've seen children, like even, you know, little three-year-olds actually get in the tray, like actually sit in the sand. Mm. Um, you can move different things. Like some people might say, look, I feel like I'm carrying the weight of the world. But then what they'll do is they'll actually put their hands all the way in the sand and just sit and acknowledge the weightness of that feeling. And it can be quite, and that can be a really good conversational start. You know, what does it feel like to, what does it feel like to sit with that? What are you noticing? Oh, my shoulders are up. Oh, my back's got a backache. Um the, the beautiful thing with the sand is that we, we can move it and we can actually step back. So there might be a way that the sand has been formed or it's landed or it's um, been positioned. And somebody, you know, and the beautiful thing is it's actually also a little bit around exposure so and tolerance, distress tolerance. So we might sit with the tray and it might be, look like an absolute shambles. And that may be, be quite representative of how somebody feels that their life is. So I might say, you know, what, what are you noticing? And then there might be just a glimmer of something in the corner of the tray. And I might say, okay, when you look at that, what are you noticing? Well, that's where my growth is, or that's where my opportunity for something different is. And it could only be the smallest amount. So when we work in the tray, we might even ask people to walk around and look at different aspects of the tray. So a person might move to the right, to the left, behind it. And it's amazing because sometimes people will go, oh my gosh, that feels so heavy from that angle. But when I step back over here, there's lightness in my body. So is it just sand in the tray or are there other objects in the tray? Symbols. So we might put symbols, symbols in. Yeah, so um, ones that tend what to come up a lot. What symbols would you put in? Well, as you can see behind me, 
There's a whole right. selection of everything all over here. Um, mm. But the things that tend to feature a lot are things like the wave. Uh, this right. could be anything from the wave of anxiety or panic when people have panic attacks. It could be the wave of just emotions. Uh, it could be for anger management, like or mm -hmm. behavior change, I should say. Uh, the, the rise how, how of the... How does the wave relate to anger management? Well, it could be about the, the peaking of when the rage starts. Right. Um, and the particular um, cyclic nature of rage and then the remorse, oh, I've damaged my car or I've just put my, mm. you know, ran over my phone. Um, mm. So, yeah, that could be one. Uh, the other ones that tend to feature, this is a cutie. I love this one. It's two little ladies gossiping about people. This, this tends to end up in the tray a fair bit where people are like, oh, I'm being judged. I'm, you know, being criticised. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. um, this little kid. This one's like really angry. A lot of adolescents pick this one. They're like, you know, showing their teeth and quite angry. And right. then you'll get something like wisdom, the owl. All right. And what's ironic is when people work in the tray, they'll often have a symbol for hope or a symbol for uh, somebody who's kind of watching over them. It's, it's really astonishing. It's mm. never, ever surprised me that um, – it's never let me down is what I should say, but there's usually some represent some representation of hope in the tray. It's just this inbuilt psyche that psychic mm. thing that I think we've got as humans. So who decides so, so so let me get this right. What you're saying is that you have the empty sandpit and then your mm. patients will then look at an array of symbols outside the sandpit and then choose what symbols to put in the sandpit. Yes. And that choice, that, that, that choice for representation is unique to the patient and is a way of initially approaching their emotions in a way that doesn't require verbalization. So they can choose the symbols they put in the sandpit. And then once those symbols are in the sandpit, then, that, then a discussion will happen between you and the patient regarding what do those symbols mean for you. Yes. Am I getting this right? Yeah, and even so the, it's very the much patient driven. It's it's highly invitational. So even yes. so, what we'll see is you know even the positioning of symbols will be quite interesting. So mm. you know you might get an idea if if people have picked people for the family, you might notice how close are they in close proximity? Are they distant? Where's the you know mm. young children will reveal so much about where they're placing even their parents. If the parents mm. are at opposite ends of the tray of the tray, well hello. Mm. Um, so we might even just ask. But what's beautiful is because it's fluid. Like you can actually move things around and. Yeah. When something really lands, you see it in the client. They'll go, it's done. It's like there's this big exclamation mark. They'll say, no, 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 I don't need to move anything. Everything's in its place now. But the beautiful thing about sand tray that I love, and I think this is something that is so unique to it, is that you don't get into that argy-bargy between the, the client and the therapist. There's not The conflict doesn't end up coming out of the person and sitting in the room between, say, like when you're working with a patient and mm. you know there's a complete difference of opinion the the battles that are going on within the person are actually enacted within the sand and within the uh, symbols so you don't mm. get into this into battle stuff all the conflict is actually contained within the tray and the opposing parts are battled between the symbols not the therapist and the client does mm. that yeah. kind of make because sense? With, with for instance with cbt for instance you're trying to challenge cognition so, so there is inherently not necessarily a battle, but you know, there's a there's a diametrically a diametrical opposition of views, isn't there? 
Yeah, and that resistance yeah. is, you know, yes. often going to result in someone going, look, I've, you know, this is this is terrible. Yeah. I don't want to do this. Yeah. I'm leaving. Goodbye. Yeah. The, the, what happens is the symbols actually hold the battle. Mm. Yes. And a lot of people don't get it, but it's beautiful because then it doesn't interfere with the relationship between the counsellor and the client because the mm. battles are all battle where they need to be. And secondly, they're in the tray, so they're actually contained. Yeah. That sense yeah. of containment is is really important for clients. Yes, yes. So there's, a, there's an objectivity, as it were, between the patient's suffering and where the patient is in the room. So they're, they're, they're kind yeah. of describing it. So you, they're removed from the immediacy of the suffering. Yes, and yet at the moment. same, yeah, and yet at the same time, they're also in some ways, um, like so. If something's moving around, or you know, someone say trying to avoid, or anxiety's up, or they've had a history of trauma, mm. you might find that that actually sits in the tray. And yeah. the more, and you know, this. What's the first thing that people want to do? They want to avoid. But if we can just take some breaths while yeah. they sit with something that's a bit yucky in the tray, yeah. once that once they've hit that triangle, that tip of the triangle, and they can sit with all the unpleasantness that might be going on. The anxiety dissipates and they're not mm. actually reenacting that oh, I've got to run, I've got to run defense mm -hmm. process, which often happens yeah. to so many people. And that's another reason why expressive therapy is so powerful is because you don't have, it's, it's less challenging for the patient. The patient's not in that flight or fight response. The patient is not trying to run away from it. It's, it's there in the box. It's not actually in the patient and there's no, neither is there any argy-bargy between the patient and the client and the, and the therapist. And it's all yeah, very true. And it's also very, the, lo the lovely thing about it is there might be trauma in the tray. And I might yeah. say to a client, um, is, you know, is there any aspects of this tray that you would like to further talk about? Now, mm. I might know that they've had something awful happen to them and that sits mm. in the corner. Yeah. It, it might not be okay for them to explore it, but in some ways their psyche is able to mm. tolerate, again, distress tolerance, distress increasing tolerance. the window yeah. of tolerance. Yeah. It can sit there and they can just at least, and mm. maybe that might be the feature of the next, you know, session three or, you know, sex, a session yeah. in three weeks' time. But they've been able to sit with enough of uh, tolerance to be able to sit with it even in the tray, which is, yeah. which again is that uh, desensitization, I guess, in some ways. So... Can you give an example of how, of, of, or can you describe what kinds of psychological problems or, or disorders can be treated with this therapy? We, we've talked about the therapy. Now let's, let's kind of talk about, well, what's it good for? You know what's a beautiful aspect of this is relationships where we can actually, it's, it's a really interesting way of working. So it can be everything from sort of family therapy. It could be, you know, inviting children to come in and, and work on their tray. It might be about sharing and asking um, a child, you know, is there anything that they're comfortable sharing from this tray? So it might be, well, I really want to have a different relationship with mum or dad or their caregiver or a different relationship with their sibling. Mm. Uh, so it could be everything from uh, conflict within. It could be anything from conflict with a, with other people, uh, anxiety, depression. Mm. Uh, it could be everything around mood. It could be around uh, deciding when and when is a time to leave a relationship. It could be around personal growth. It could be about stepping outside of one's uh, comfort zone, taking a chance. You know, I've had people refer to this as almost like a um, a roadmap for their own growth as, as a person like there might be something well, that they're entertaining with can you give us an example so somebody yeah so somebody might say want to have a career change or maybe and this is the, a beautiful aspect that comes from the Jungian work is the mm. individuation 
So people might uh, be caught up in a certain career or may have issues, not issues, but may uh, be dealing with issues around sexuality. And then their family might be there and then there's the person that they've picked for themselves or who they might want to be. And they might be around saying, well, you know, whose life am I really living here? And there might be some, like I've seen many clients talk about, oh, well, I want to step out of doing, you know, astrophysics because that's what dad did. Uh, but I want to go out and become a landscape gardener. And there might be these, you know, battle that people need to, or a perceived battle that they might be needing to work through. Oh, I'm going to be letting my parents down or I'm going to be disappointing them and they'll move things around. So instead of maybe the parent, you know, sitting over the top of them, they may reposition the sand and then having them or at least have them on an equal field. So mm. it's it's interesting what happens. And I don't want to say that, oh, we just work in the tray and everything manifests. I'm not, I'm not going to be that stupid to say that, but I have seen things happen where it's almost like this is kind of putting it out there and I don't know how. We might even say, look, okay, so in to do that, you might have to stand your ground. You might have to have a conversation. What would that look like? Mm. Oh, well, this is what I'm going to need to say to them. Okay, can you rehearse that? Could you, mm. could you take a breath in and say, okay, so you always in some ways doing doing the groundwork and having some of those difficult conversations that they then use uh, in real life. So they've almost uh, role-played it. They've already, their psyche's already felt like it's already happened before it's actually happened because they've already done some of the components of that in the tray. And it's happened in a safe space. Yes, yes. Right. So you've said a word that really that, uh, intrigues me and that is manifest. And that's what I was trying to get at. So what you're saying is that the, the whole energy of expressive therapy, because at the end of the day, a therapy is only a therapy if it affects positive change, right? If it doesn't affect positive yes. change, then it's just, you know, having a chat with a cup of coffee with a friend, right? Yeah. So the, the word manifest is so important here because basically the ability to rehearse concepts, emotions, words in a safe place then empowers the individual to have that same discussion or, or, or make that same change in real life yes. where you've already made the mistakes in the safe place, where you've already dealt with the negative emotions and the fear in the safe space, so it's easier to actually affect that change in real life. Is that, is that right. what you're saying? The yeah, word manifest is so important here, isn't it? Well, I think it is. And it's also yeah. the fact that the skills that are actually experienced in the safe holding space yes. uh, become transferable into the aspects of everyday life. Absolutely. It's a rehearsal. Yes. Yes. You can, Again, you, can you come up with the words. Up, you can screw up during the rehearsal so you get it right in life. Yes. And we know so, that the brain, the brain can't tell the difference between good and bad. So the more that you actually rehearse something, the more it yes. just does it as automatic. Yes. Yes. You're rehearsing to improve your life. Okay, so can you give me an example of, think, think of a patient. Tell, tell, can mm -hmm. you give me an anonymized patient story of, of how expressive therapy manifested an improvement? Yeah, without, without giving yeah. any kind of patient detail. Yeah. Something concrete, a concrete example of how this manifestation happened. Okay, so uh, trauma. Okay, so right. I'll, I'll just, you know, talk about a client who had a history of trauma. Um, it was a sexual assault. And sh she was struggling with, uh, there was issues around the family. There was issues around the silencing. So she was sexually assaulted by a family member. And it, 
when she went to go and uh, highlight it to the family, the, especially her mother, the mother wouldn't, uh, would just basically negated what had actually happened. And she was really toying with the realisation that to stay where she was with her particular family under the, in the way that it was, would have meant that it continually invalidated her experience. Mm. So she really realised that, you know, her, she was aware to know that her family had such uh, serious um, substance abuse issues that when we really sat with it, the the the, fam- the parents' capacity for change was going to be highly minimal. Like she would have been holding on to a lot of hope that probably wouldn't have, it would have actually been to her demise if she had have continued to stay. Mm-hmm. So what ended up happening was, you know, it was having all sorts of uh, issues with her um, relationship with her partner because, of course, you know, he didn't know what was going on. You know, he didn't know whether he could be in- intimate with her one minute and then the next day she'd be like, no, don't come near me because she was mm-hmm. having all of the all of the traumatic reactions. So we actually uh, did some of the work in response to reclaiming her power in the tray. Uh, mm-hmm. So it was around, you know, no, you, you, you know, what would, it, what would it feel like to be able to say, no, you don't get to touch me. No, you don't, you know, and really... Did a lot of that, um, you know, it's part of, you know, kicking what I call kicking the offender's butt, uh, mm-hmm. basically saying, no, that's not okay. And when she was able to kind of work through that and separate what was the difference between the power that was misused with her in the sexual assault versus uh, that, you know, and making those cognitive d- differences when it comes to the partner she's actually with, she actually ended up moving states. Um, and it was the best thing she could have done. She found that the environment for her in... Um, up higher end of Australia was better for her than she ever could have experienced with Melbourne's up and down, up and down here. She found that Melbourne's weather up, weather down here was too, uh, almost replicated how she felt in everyday life. But she found that being around the sun, being around the water, um, and it it all came from the tray because it was almost like her psyche knew what it needed. So she was able to enact, reenact in a safe place and was able to reframe her cognition in a safe place as she was able to develop self-empowerment to then manifest the changes that she needed to make in her own life. Yeah, and there was also an aspect of grief for her as well. Yeah. There was the grieving of the, of the little girl who wasn't protected. Yeah. And yeah. so that gave that opportunity, but also a, a way of you know putting him in some sort of jail, even though he didn't. there was no justice for him yeah. or no legal, you know. Yeah. But I think the other thing... The final thing I want to say about the tray, though, is the beautiful aspect of it is that it works very much with unconscious process. Because before you know it, someone will pick up a symbol and then they'll start um, projecting aspects or unconsciously onto the tray. So you really know what you're working with rather than doing some sessions which take you eight sessions in and then you're like, oh, now I know what we're working with. Yeah, there's no subterfuge. No, that's right. There's no fuzzy wuzzies. There's no dancing around it. There's no human brain. It's all mammalian limbic system brain. It's all emotion. It's it's all honest. Yes. Yeah. Marie, thank you so much. Yet again, we've run out of time, but I really do. I really do look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you for having me. That's it for today's Medheads. My name is Dr. Fergal Armstrong. See you next time. 